0: everybody, welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast.
1: A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens.
0: My name is Eric Lefebri.
1: And I'm Jessica Chisero.
0: And this week, we are talking about Ghostbusters. I ain't
1: afraid of no ghosts. Bow!
0: So, <laughs> we looked at a couple Ghostbusters. So the first one, obviously, is the one from 1837. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Because we've been talking about like such old movies. We're talking about the 1984 version of uh, with Bill Murray and the Animal House Brat Pack SNL Boys, as it were. Uh, And then we're also taking a look at the 2016 remake with the current or at what point was current SNL Brat Pack uh, Bridesmaid Gals, which was awesome. Yeah. The the
1: female reboot. Yeah. Yeah. That's what everybody came to notice, I guess. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to get into this. I have so many thoughts and opinions. Uh, We didn't, so for clarification, because there are many different iterations of Ghostbusters, right, there was like the animated series that they did, and then they did like a whole bunch of other things, but we are only going to be focusing on just the first Ghostbusters and the reboot that happened, Mm -hmm. so...
0: Yeah, so it's like one to one, first to first, yeah. essentially. Yeah.
1: I mean, maybe later we'll talk about like the animated series and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, um, but this is what we're focusing on now. Totes. So excited! want to let's let's, get let's into jump in. It. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So we're starting with Ghostbusters 1984. After a spectral attack at a local library, a group of scientists specializing in paranormal activity are called to investigate. After witnessing that ghosts are in fact real, these college boys are fired from their university positions and open a ghost hunting business, which takes off almost immediately.
0: Meanwhile, local musician Dana Barrett is terrorized by a demigod named Zool, who is hell-bent on making their way into our world. Both she and her goofy neighbor become possessed and subsequently bone, allowing a super chic ulti god named Gozer the Destructor to come to our realm and attempt to end End the the world.
1: world. Yep, that's it.
0: That was the movie. (laughs) 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 Um, No, I guess we could get into it then.
1: There's a lot to talk about here with this. There is. I had a lot of conflicting feelings watching it again through this lens because I grew up with this film and it was, it's great. I loved it. I loved everything about it and I still love it. But looking at it through this lens has really, it's not as great as, as I thought it was.
0: Yeah. I sort of feel the same way. So it's like my impression of Bill Murray initially, the first time seeing it, I was like, I love Bill Murray. I think he's fantastic. I think he's wonderful. But his character in this, like even from the first scene, is him like being a creep. Just like oh,
1: for sure. straight
0: up him doing that little like uh, electric test with the two subjects, one of which is like a cute young girl, the other is just some like goofy college dude. He's letting her get all the answers right and then zapping the guy, and the guy like leaves, so then he's like trying to hit on her, he goes and sits next to her, and that's when Dan Aykroyd comes in, he's like, There's been a ghost. I was like, "Oh shit! I guess this is happening." I guess well, that's well.
1: And the thing about that too is, it was supposed to be funny. I, I like you. I love Bill Murray. All this other stuff. But then, like looking back at this character, he was just such a slimeball. He was right. Our first introduction of our to him, like you said, was just him literally just lying to this woman trying to seduce her. Mm-hmm. And then that's something that carries out throughout the film. Right? He's always trying to hit on vulnerable women. Yes. And he's also just such a shitty friend yeah he's a terrible friend he puts everybody down and i honestly don't know why the fuck he's in the ghostbusters because it seems like he could give a fuck less he about, doesn't he doesn't care about yeah. ghosts he doesn't care about any of the shit he he actually doesn't seem to care about anything no so why is he a ghostbuster
0: yeah i was also confused on that because like i guess he knew some stuff but at the same time he was working through under the guise of like Oh, I know how to use words. Like when they see that ghost, like the female ghost, when they mm. go to investigate their first ghost hunt, they all walk in and it's like the lady from the intro scene or the ghost lady. Mm. And they're kind of trying to go and be like, Oh, investigate. I can't believe the tears. Like you guys don't know how to talk to quote unquote women. And that's sort of what the tone oh. is. So he's like, I'm going to take you back around the corner because I know how to talk to ladies. And it's like, that's sort of his only MO in this entire film is like trying to fuck.
1: Well and he's supposed to be the protagonist he's supposed he's to be the like hero. he's the <laughs> Quote unquote, the hero. portrait of a good dude that we're supposed to like and be relatable and yeah. like all of that and so what his character really does is just say that it's okay to be shitty to women and to just kind of want to fuck them. Mm-hmm. Like, the way that he pushes himself onto Sigourney Weaver, onto Dana, it was, like, really, Oof. like, uncomfortable. Yeah. And even when she she becomes Zul, right? She becomes the gatekeeper. Yeah. When she is clearly not herself and she's clearly not in her right mind and she's just like... I mean, she she has a lot of power in that scene, right? Because she's exploiting female sexuality. Mm -hmm. And in order to open this fucking gate, they have to bone, which is weird. But, like, so she's there and she's, like, trying to bone him. And we're supposed to think that he does the right thing by saying, like, it's okay, sweetie. I'll talk to you later. But he he allows himself to be taken advantage of a little bit. Yeah. And then he, like, kisses her on the chest when he leaves and says, like, I'm coming back for you. Like, dude, none of that was consensual. Like, everything up until... Like, I mean, she agrees to go to dinner with him eventually because she falls in love with his celebrity and not him. Totally. But he he's just such a slimeball like that is not consent. Like, I mean, it's like she was drunk. She was somebody else. And he's just trying to, like, use that as another way to get in.
0: Totally. And I will say, too, if we're jumping right to that, I have a lot to say about that scene in particular or sort of like the idea that. So, Sigourney Weaver, yes, wasn't in her right mind 100%. However, the framing of the character was like confident and powerful and, and all of this. And that is the only time he is not interested in her. Yeah. The only time he says no, because he, every, every other moment he's being sexually advantageous and, and wanting to show up at her place of business where she is playing music just to be like, Hey, I'm here in your life. Date me. Like, we should go on a date. Hey, we should date. You want to take me out? It's just like, cool, cool, cool. And then the moment she's like, I want you inside me. He's like, mm, <laughs> "I don't know cuz she's in this moment we're seeing a confident character. Obviously she's possessed. It's obviously not the same person. Yeah. But the thing that turns him off is her confidence and sexually advantageousness. So she's essentially flipping the role and he doesn't like it."
1: Yeah, and I thought that was really hot when she was just like, "Boom, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to take advantage of you whatever." And like, "You're right." Like he doesn't want he doesn't want that empowered version of no, her. He wants he- her to be weak. Yeah, he wants her to be... Because, again, he likes vulnerable women. Mm -hmm. So there's two things that I want to talk about there. One is uh, when we get Gozer, they're like, a woman? What? And they're like fucking terrified to approach her because she's female presenting, right? Mm -hmm. Or they're female presenting. Yeah. Um, I don't want to assume their gender because it's a fucking demigod, right? Oh,
0: truly, yeah. (laughs) And they make it very clear off the bat that it's just sort of like, we inhabit whatever you see as like
1: yes they inhabit what you find terrifying right and for them it's strong female presence strong women yeah and so like they're terrified to even talk to her Mm -hmm. so that in itself was a little bit telling but then
0: what what that sort of indicates especially like them being afraid of strong femininity and strong female energy is sort of a reiterative uh, narrative that says that only men can control women's bodies. And it sort of reinstills this narrative that a sort of misogynist ideas, but also like the patriarchy itself. I know we talk a lot about this, but like (laughs) it's fucking true and it's in everything. It's It's in all media. It's so ingrained in how we intake and digest media. It's the way that we see it. It's all around us. And so this is a very clear interpretation, reiterating that misogyny, which is like, Ooh.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And to the other point that I wanted to make too is a frequent thing throughout this film is these men are so focused on what they're trying to chase or what they, what they think that they want that when they get it and when it's there, they don't know what to do. Uh, Mm. So the first point is when they find the ghost in the library and they're like, Oh shit, what do we do? Like they have been talking about this for so long, you know, obviously they've been trying to be like, Oh, but what if this, what if like, they're fucking ready. And then they finally get it. And they're like, Oh, shit, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And then in this, with going back to Dana, once she's there and she's ready for him, right? Because he doesn't have to chase her anymore. Then, okay, like, you know, like, what does he do with that? And I think that that's like a bigger problem is that talking about patriarchy and stuff, right? Like a lot of it is based on the chase and based on these ideals of things that they want to attain. But then once they get there, what do they do?
0: Yeah, they don't know what to do
1: because there's no handbook i mean like i guess there's like a dude handbook or whatever like this is what you need to do to be successful or what you need to do to be a man which uh, like what they were saying about like masculinity and in this whole thing was really fucked up and like
0: that's sort of the embodiment of bill murray's character he is the sort of quote-unquote male guidebook for these other characters because they are of science right they are like oh there's a ghost it's this person and he's like kind of mocking and talking down to them a little like you don't know how to talk to women, but they're like, no, this is a ghost. Look at it th- through science. And he's like, it's just like, you know, he's <laughs> he's trying to be this machismo sort of masculine driven, yes. like, I'm a, I'm a man's man and I'm going to talk to ladies, even though he's just doofy and a goof, but a misogynist, a creep. predatory, creepy yeah. goof. You know what I mean? And so these other characters who may or may not be the same, I'm assuming... I will say just clearly, I'm assuming all cis men for the most part are in that way until proven otherwise. That's just the way it works. But they're trying to look at it through the lens of science, whereas he's looking at it through the lens of romance. And that is frustrating because his interpretation of romance is predatory behavior, as opposed to consent, I
1: mean, consent consensual, consensual behavior.
0: behavior. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> she's
1: clearly like Dana is clearly hanging out with another dude and, and he just he, shows up <laughs> and he shows up and is like, yeah, whatever, which is like, there's so much going on here with, patriarchy right and with like the concept of the alpha yeah and bill murray's character is always wanting to be an alpha but in like the slimiest way he, yes. he never wants to be a stand-up dude he wants to get what he wants by putting in the least amount of effort Truly. and that's what i think so many dudes like why they like him right is because they can see themselves in his character so there's that right so this other dude has been building a relationship with dina they yeah. work together and things mm-hmm. like that and he just comes and is like hey sup." Like, and, like, the whole time that he interacts with her, like, in her apartment and stuff like that, he's just such a condescending asshole. He is, yeah. Like, his way of hitting on women is just kind of by, like, belittling them, you know, and making them lower than him. And he does that to, to other men, too, right? So, like, yeah. again, Dana's co-worker. And then uh, when the EPA comes in, first of all, the EPA is the bad guy. Yeah, which we is, love. Uh, <laughs> 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 but then, like, the other thing about it, too, is... It's not about the environment, ultimately. It's not about them breaking government regulations. The reason why the EPA really comes down on them hard is because Bill Murray's character... Hurt this little dude's ego, right? Yes. Because it was like a dick waving competition. Yes. Oh well, we don't need this. Come back with your fucking warrant, and then he's like,
0: and then he's like, I-, I did come back with my warrant. I'm gonna turn off the yeah, power Yeah, I'm gonna come
1: back with my warrant. Here, here, yeah. look yeah. it, see. Uh, oh, I wouldn't do that. Like, oh yeah, yeah well, fuck well, you. I'm gonna like, do I'm, it. <laughs> I am the government. Yeah. And then that little weasel too. Like later on, goes to the mayor's office and blatantly lies about what they're doing and tries to like falsify information just to get the government on his side.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it also is really telling about that time also, because I feel like even in us having this conversation, I feel like a lot of people who were adults during that time would have that same argument that we hear all the time. It's like, well, it was a different time. I mean, again, that phrase itself is a way to justify racism. It's a way to justify patriarchy. It's a way to justify misogyny. It's a way that a lot of people just say, instead of thinking about this thing critically, well, that was just the time cool but also no it's not and you can think about this in a better way than the way you're thinking about it currently so i think he is sort of the embodiment of that idea bill murray's embodiment of well it was just that time right so he shows up he's trying to alpha his way through every personal and romantic friendship or relationship in his life whether it's his scientific cohorts right he's trying to be like well i know how to talk to women so i'm alpha boy for sigourney weaver he's like let me belittle you till you feel small and then I'm going to hit on you, alpha boy, with her coworker boyfriend. And then coworker, becomes boyfriend. the alpha,
1: then he's so uncomfortable. Exactly.
0: And so that's the whole thing. It's like men think that that's the way to do it or thought that that was the way to do it. And sometimes it will work because it's abuse. You're just abusing somebody until they say yes. That's all yeah. you're doing. You're emotionally manipulating. You're gaslighting. You're doing all of these things to make somebody feel small and worthless. Belittled to a point where they have to just say yes. They don't have to, but through that abuse, they're saying it to make it stop. Like, well,
1: and also like their means for wanting to be successful. Yeah. So they're trying to be successful as a means of manipulation. Yes. That's why Sigourney Weaver's character falls in love because she's like, fuck this guy forever. Yeah. And then she sees him on TV and she's like, oh well, he's he's accomplished. He's right? successful. Yeah. Like, and this whole time, like they don't interact while her opinions of him change. It is literally just her seeing him on TV. Yep. And I think that's something that we kind of have to deal with, you know, is just these men and these people, these successful people are literally just doing that. So you think that they're good or so they can change their like your perception of them without having to put in the actual work. Yeah. Of getting to know you and getting to like prove that they're a good person. Just like, oh, well, I have a doctorate. Oh, well, I have a business. You know, I mean, so much of social media is that too, right? Yeah, and celebrity
0: at large, right? Yes. Yeah, because that's how a lot of people will come to the aid of some celebrity that they like really love or have some sort of tie to emotionally. Bill Murray.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) In this character.
0: Yeah, but even like just in general, like celebrities currently in this moment where people are People are being outed as abusers, mm-hmm. and so many people will just jump and be like, well, no, it was under this context. But it's the the tie of celebrity there where our perception of them is skewed because of that successful aspect mm-hmm. where we think that they are good, which is tangentially tied to their success. We just think they're good because they're successful. And so a lot of people think that they're good because they're successful, and they'll they're willing to sort of stake their opinion on it and be like, no, they probably didn't do this. They probably didn't do that. I mean – that moment where Sigourney Weaver sees him on TV, it's very just like, huh, like you said.
1: Hmm. Well, and it's, I, I think another reason too is because we are not really allowed like a better portrait of it's either you like something or you don't like something. Yes. And so I feel like only right now and like uh, the conversations that people are having, we're able to say, I really don't like this person's work. Or I, I'm sorry, I really don't like this person and what they do to other people, but their work is really good. How do we, how do we, go about that right yeah you know um so like we could argue like for the sake of this film because i think it's a much bigger conversation that maybe oh yeah it it would would be like an an entire two-hour podcast right (laughs) but um it's so he they were doing good work right they were helping people they were doing all of that but he was a slime ball. does that discredit the work does that how does that how do you feel about that you know and it's not always black and white and but i think at least knowing what's going on is something that you have to do rather than just blindly fucking following these things. Yeah. and being like, "Oh, they're canceled." Or, "Oh, well, I love this person." And, no, I don't believe that Johnny Depp was an asshole to his wife and like yeah. beat her. How how? Like you weren't there.
0: You weren't Yeah. It's 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 this it's a hope situation where they hope that that's not the case and because they hope, they believe and because they believe, they're going to vouch for. It. And it's it's frustrating because I I think that that there's something to that. There's something to have hope, but the hope is centered around this idea of celebrity. They don't know this person. They don't know the facts or they don't know any, any of that sort of personal stuff, but they're willing to bet on it. And I think yeah. the idea, like you said, because people are complicated. And I think, especially when people who are outed as abusers or are outed as like predators, essentially, mm-hmm. they could have done good things in the past, but they also have done bad things. And I think trying to have that conversation now is difficult because like you said it's easy to just say this person is done we're done with them yeah because I do think and that's not to excuse or apologize for to be like well people can get better because I do think that when people do shit like that they shouldn't be given another chance they should just like I'm I don't care anymore like I don't care about this I don't care about I, I care about what they've done and what they've done is hurt people and so I don't think we should keep giving people who hurt people the opportunity to hurt people more You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But people are complicated, and I think in this case, in Ghostbusters, Bill Murray, I don't think he really did anything that good. His cohorts were the ones who were doing the good work of, like, catching things. And like you said, he couldn't have given less of a shit to be there. He was just going along because... I roll, maybe there's girls there.
1: Well, and like the actual (laughs) science was being done by his cohorts.
0: Exactly, yeah. He was doing nothing. Like we
1: never really see him do a science thing. We just see him have these shitty one liners and try to pick up on women. Yeah. And try to be like, look, I'm gonna talk to these people. Yeah. And I mean I I feel like so while we're on the topic of abusers and things like that, there's something else that I really, really wanted to bring up with this. And they have this commercial that, like, the timeline is all fucked up on this because, like, <laughs> they get the firehouse and then immediately they have a commercial and immediately they have this. Like, yeah. And it what feels like 24 hours, maybe. is like, like several months. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So they, in their commercial, they end with, we're ready to believe you. And... There's a whole thing to be said for this Ghostbusters and for the next one, but for this one specifically, where I want to take it back to the second scene, right? The very beginning of the movie. Yes. Where they go into the library and they're going to, like, talk to this person and the woman that saw the apparition is laying down and she is, like, they're, like, fanning her. She's like, oh, my God, this was super traumatic. And they ask her this series of questions because they're interrogating her. They're not like, okay, what'd you see? You know, blah, blah, blah. They're trying to prove reasonable doubt with her story. And it starts with like, I was so mad (laughs) because one of the questions that they asked her was, are you on your period? Uh. And it was supposed to be a joke. Like, uh, yeah. it was presented as a joke. Oh, well, are you on your period? So if, as a woman, we're on our period, we're not to be believed? like yeah. it, Because that was supposed to discredit her. And that was really fucked up. So then, after that whole...
0: That was Bill Murray who asked that, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah.
1: And that was when he was like, no, I know how to talk to women.
0: Again, reiterating <laughs> his misogynist <laughs> ideals.
1: Oh, so, my God. um... Then they do a commercial and the we're ready to believe you. Yeah. Now, let's go to when Dana first comes to them as their supposed second client. And rather than just saying, yeah, we got you, right? Like, yeah, we believe you. She is hooked up to, like, the most complicated machine that I've ever seen as a lie detector, right? (laughs) And then she tells their story, and, like, she's getting frustrated, obviously. And they were like, oh, well, she's telling the truth. And one of them says she believes she's telling the truth, at least. Yeah. And so their whole thing, as this company, is like, yeah, we're ready to believe you. We got you. It's not that. It is literally, like, we might believe you. Like, it's an extreme vetting process. Yeah. So, because the other thing, too, is, like, seeing a ghost in this is, like, an extremely traumatic thing. And the Ghostbusters hotline is supposed to be, like, a trauma hotline, kind of, right? Yeah. But can you imagine, like, calling, like, a rape hotline or something and then going in and just having to go through, like, this crazy amount. Of, I mean, you already have, like, rape kits and things like that are extremely traumatic, I was, right? Yeah, I was going to say. But at least you're not put through a fucking lie detector test to see if you are telling the truth. Like,
0: Oft- Oftentimes that's what police do, though, with, with, with victims yeah. of rape. It's like, because they go through this process of being like, well, are you sure this happened? What? That's true. Excuse me? Are you sure that, like, why is that a part of the, and like, not to say that that's all the time, but I think largely, and like you said, with rape kits and stuff, it's incredibly invasive. It's incredibly, convince us you're telling us the truth. Like, make us believe you. Like, why should we believe you? It's like, this isn't an interview process to get hired for a job. Mm -hmm. This is the accounting of abuse. This is the accounting of an attack. And like you said, when they're calling into the Ghostbusters hotline, it's like, oftentimes these people have been attacked. It's like, yes, they've seen them, but sometimes the ghost, like, passes through them or throws them or does something. And so it's just like, hey, I'm calling for this. And so now, like you said, their second client, she thinks she believes what she saw, sort of, which is just like, what? What do you mean? What are you talking about? And then I just, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, so all of these systems are just set up so poorly. Like, And it's terrifying to like the trauma that somebody has to experience in order to actually call these things or these hotlines. I never reported anything because I was afraid that nobody would believe me. Yeah. And rightfully so, because, you know, like how many times do we believe women? And, you know, these men are like, you know, their advertisement is saying, we're ready to leave you. You're safe. Trying to form a sense of security and safety for these people that have been completely traumatized. Yeah. And then just putting them through a whole nother level of trauma. Yeah. And we see her just get so pissed. She's like, are we done here? And they're just like, well, you know, I had a really, really big problem with that. And that was one of my really big takeaways.
0: Looking back on a movie that, like, you held dear to some extent. Like, same for me. Seeing back just how awful that character is and how awful the treatment of women and sort of believability of trauma, of abuse. And also, I want to ask, when, at what point does that scene with Sigourney Weaver happen, does that happen before or after they go to the hotel? And they, like, capture Slimer for the first time in the dining room. Because, depending on where that lies, I forget they believe the guy at the hotel who they don't know immediately to the point of where like i saw him up on this floor and they're like got it we're going we believe you no questions asked let's creep around and then find and like there's the ghost we believe but like they believed beforehand i don't think there was any sort of moment of doubt apart from possibly bill murray who again is just whatever about everything hard eye roll about everything yeah other than women
1: Hard eye roll is Bill Murray's character. Yeah, he's just
0: a hard (laughs) eye roll the whole time.
1: I'm going to look this up because I feel like this is very important. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because um,
0: if we're talking about that specifically, then that's a direct tie to these characters not believing women, but believing men, strangers, strange men, for no reason other than they said so. Whereas women have to be put through the ringer of rigorous testing, brain scanning. And then even passing that test, it's like, well, she thinks she believes it. Oh, cool. So now the truth machine is wrong because she's a lady? (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? Her brain activity is incorrect because of her gender. (laughs) Like, what? Like, that is, it's just, it's so wacky, but it's also just very telling of this kind of misogynistic, patriarchal structure and sort of conversation with and about women, both around and without female voices. (laughs) Like...
1: It happens after.
0: It happens after?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. I think it's, yeah, it still holds its weight, though. Just the fact that it's like, I don't know. Was there a ghost between those two that they saw? Or no. was it, they've only seen the one. Yes. And they far. completely
1: doubted Dana. And she looked crazy because he opens the fridge and he's like, just some eggs, right? Pretty much it was something to that effect. It was some Oh, eggs. junk food. Want a bone? Like- <laughs> yeah, he,
0: he also let's make this very clear distinction. He opens the fridge and tries to shame her for the amount of quote-unquote junk food she has in her fridge. Oh god, yeah. And he's just like, "Wow, it's all junk food. I can't believe it." And she's just like, "Shut up. Like, Shut, what? Stop." But, I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a way of again making her feel smaller, making her feel ashamed of her body or the her habits yeah. or whatever. It's it's him doing the alpha thing that alpha men or male people do. Yeah. Right? They try to make other people feel small so then they don't feel small. They can feel big. They can feel in charge and strong. And they're the ones who make the decisions. Bullshit. Shut up. Go take a nap. Yes. You're tired. Like, don't, <laughs> you're so tired. Your ideas are tired. And it's just, ugh. It's gross.
1: Yeah. And you're right. Like, the fact that they believe the hotel concierge or whatever his position was like immediately after having this experience with Dana just like oh sure yeah we'll be right over you know like but with her they were just so patronizing and he continues to like be that way with her throughout the whole film yeah until like oh shit you should have believed her from the beginning you know because guess what now she's possessed by this dude
0: (laughs) oh my gosh yeah I've got a big topic that I wanted to bring up. I know we haven't really talked about it, but, and I know it's like a term that is used currently as just like a regular thing, but the term spooky as a evolution of a racial slur.
1: Oh. Yeah.
0: I know. I talk about this with friends sometimes because it's, I don't know, when we know better, we can do better. And so for me, I've tried to stop using that. So I just want to break it down. I've read a few articles about it specifically. So the term itself, it's spooky without the Y, is a Dutch word for specter or apparition. So Mm -hmm. ghost. It's like the actual word that they used for that. Okay. Um, But the development of it, I believe, was during World War II. They started using the term, it was like a emerging of the two words. So spooky without the Y and WAF, which was the German word for weapon or gun, mm-hmm. as a way to describe black people who were in the army. So uh, then, because of the phrasing of that in America, in sort of the South or just kind of anywhere people of color lived or existed, it was a term to refer to black people. It was spooky without the Y as a means of degrading them or make them feel, I guess, scary. And so that idea of like scariness or like subtle unsettled feelings Mm -hmm. sort of started to develop into spooky, which it's like, Ooh, just kind of scary, but it was a Dutch term that became an American term, a racial slur that has in Western culture and American culture developed into just a term to mean kind of scary or like little scary.
1: Or like when I think of that, it's always like kind of scary, but kind of cute.
0: Yes. Yeah. And and I think the term has evolved or has sort of like most people don't associate it with that meaning or that sort of historic tie, but... It definitely is there. I know a lot of like a lot of terms will sort of have this like. Did you know this means this? But it's like somebody just made it up. Mm-hmm. But this has a direct tie to the racial slur from uh, World War II in I a way have, of I had no idea. denoting and belittling black people, black Americans. Yikes! Isn't that crazy?
1: I had no idea. I know. My goodness.
0: And so in this movie too, they use it a lot. Which I mean, again, but they use it like without the why, like a hard S P O okay, K, just like. Boom. Several times, as just a way to like, have you seen a scary thing, this thing? But every time they said it, it felt like, with that in mind, it was just like, ooh, that does not age well with Jeez. this idea. It just feels very like, ooh, it's rough. It's rough seeing it and hearing that word through that lens. You know what yeah. I mean? And so some people are like, I think currently are like, eh, I'm going to stop using it. And some people are like, eh, who cares? But. This is sort of a bigger conversation about language and and using of terms. Like I said, like when you know better, you do better. And so.
1: Well, and who's allowed to take that back?
0: Exactly. And again, we're two white presenting people. So it's not like we we have no capacity or authority over the usage of it because we were never called that. We were never referred to or uh, degraded in such terms. But knowing it, I do like at least on a podcast like this, want to have a conversation about it in general.
1: Well, it's like you said, like, we can do better. Like, yeah. I mean, if somebody says, like, oh, you said this and, like, we're all, we're all, like, in training. We're, yeah. we're never perfect. And, you know, things are, like you said, like, ever evolving. We're always learning new things. Yeah. And so if somebody says, like, hey, like, this hurts me, then, like, oh, shit, I'm so sorry. Yeah, like, totally. You know, I'll do better. Somebody that does a really good job of that, speaking of, like, celebrity and things like that, is Jamila Aljamil. Um, she is are you
0: talking about the Ellen DeGeneres tweet uh,
1: I mean just like everything I follow her on social oh media yeah she's, she's fantastic she's so lovely and like you know she engages with like her community that she's built mm-hmm. around all of this and she's just like Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Or like, you know, she'll, she'll engage with these people because she, she wants to try to understand. She encourages everybody to kind of have this conversation about like, if you're going to say something, like, you know, be educating people about it here. Like, cause this is where you come to learn and to grow. Yeah. And I think that that is just, that's just so powerful because, you know, in a world of like cancel culture or whatever, like we all don't know what's best. We don't know what's hurtful to somebody else, you know, because we live in our own reality and what's going to make us better is coming together and sharing these stories and these ideas and our truths and things Mm -hmm. like that. Because it's, and if if you have a hard time being like, Oh well, I've always known this person as a she, but now they're he, and you know, like I, I just don't get it. That's not for you. Like yeah. you need to respect this person. Yeah. If somebody. That's like, not
0: your choice to make. Yeah. Whether exactly. or not you want to refer to them. And no. it doesn't
1: harm you at all. <laughs> nope. It is literally just you. You have such a small mind that you aren't able to fucking grow anymore, and you're actually causing this person harm. It's not harming you, but it's harming them. Yes. So fuck yourself. It's a
0: refusal of growth. Yes. And so in these moments, it's like we can learn like we're all ignorant to so No, there is not a single person in this world who will ever be all knowing, who will know everything. That's never a possibility. That will never be true for it. Not a single person here. Right. Yes. And because of that, we're all ignorant. And because we're all ignorant, we can all learn. And because of that, we can all be better. Right. Like just enlighten. Like, let's enlighten each other. Let's talk. Let's be, like, let's grow together and be better. Because, like, I've said and done some stupid shit. Like, as a white person who benefits under a white supremacist state and a white person, I have done and said some shitty stuff that I didn't know was shitty when I was, like, a teenager or mm-hmm. whatever. But growing up and being like, fuck, that was gross. I am going to be better than that because that's a whole part of the process of growth and, and moving on, especially for white people to acknowledge their, um... Their privilege. Their privilege, but also their agency Mm -hmm. in a world that gives them the allowance of agency. But then also what you need to do within that is like educate not just yourself, but other white people who may not necessarily be educated to allow growth of other communities and cultures to to blossom. Because at this point, we're just like hard-ass sidewalk above all of these really beautiful cultures. And it's like you got to start breaking up that sidewalk so people can start growing through them. And we're starting to see all these – like we talked about, like – making way for other stories, and that comes through enlightenment and education.
1: Well, and I think a lot of it, too, is, like you said, like, how do we bring people up? Yeah. Rather than, you know, stepping on people, or rather than, you know, being like, oh, well, shit, whatever, like, I'm just going to say this word anyway, because it's still in my vocabulary. Like, by doing that, you're actively putting down those communities, and that's causing so much harm, and that's so aggressive, and you have this privilege, use it to lift up these people yeah. or in these communities like because there's a way to be an ally and to to help and to to do the right thing and it's not by saying well not all white men
0: yeah my god the not like, all white. <laughs> it's so it's just so what, it's that's, that- so tired and apologist it's so boring like sure this idea of like well not all men because my dad was great Yeah, we're not saying your dad wasn't great. We're saying men in general are this and we need to be better about men in general because if you say not all blank, you're giving some sort of leeway or credence to the men who don't want to question, who don't want to think about stuff, who don't want Mm -hmm. to grow. And so they're going to see themselves in the not all category instead of the all category Mm -hmm. as a way of not doing any work because they're going to identify with like, well, that's not me. So I don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. No, all. All of these people, because if you do all, everyone has to think. Everyone has to do some work. And that's what it's about. Everyone has to put in some work to be better and to make things better for other people.
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. and so to tie this all back right (laughs) sorry we went on this (laughs) I know super long tangent (laughs) but like to tie this all back right so like Bill Murray is actively called out a couple times that like hey you're garbage right especially by their fucking secretary who I love oh yeah she is often like I haven't had a break in two weeks I haven't done this and he's just like yeah like he just actively treats her like garbage like he's being a shit employer doesn't give a shit about her and she's like I quit better jobs than this and he's like yeah whatever
0: I love he that line. He does
1: not care about this person. Yeah. And that is so hard, you know? And I also wanted to talk about Winston's character. So, um, yeah. fun and the- fact. So, initially this role was written for Eddie Murphy. What's interesting about like going back and looking into this film is... Each character was written specifically for somebody. Yeah, And so Winston was supposed to be, in the writer's mind, Eddie Murphy. And then when Eddie Murphy turned it down, they rewrote the entire script. Because Winston was supposed to come in much earlier in the film. Yeah. And supposed to be a more integral part of the story. But then when Eddie Murphy turned it down, they just wrote him in as just like a little tiny side character.
0: Yeah, it's bizarre that he shows up at like minute 65 or something yeah. like super far into the movie and he's supposed to be one of the ghostbusters and the way that they introduce him it's just like hey i'm looking for a job and they walk in they're like well we're stressed, so you're hired and he's like what's the job they're like it's this he's like i'll take anything so it's it's almost just like a it's such a bad way to introduce an integral character to the cast agreed
1: yeah it was really cool that he didn't have to go through this extreme vetting process that any of their clients or anything had to do. Right. Truly. They weren't even like, do you know anything about PPE? Like, you know, yeah. like his safety equipment and things like that. They're just like, cool, you're hired. Yeah. So it was great that he was just in. Yeah. But yeah, it was just such a weird fucking way to introduce him. Totally. And so a big part of me wonders, first of all, why did you have to rewrite it? Because Eddie Murphy didn't want to be in it. That's yeah, really strange.
0: Because I understand writing for a character and writing for an actor, right? So you're trying to include sensibilities or sort of, of notes of But a lot of this was of ad-libbed, character. too. I
1: know. Like, so I was reading it, and so much of these things were ad-libbed. When the bookshelf falls, that wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't rehearsed or anything. Like, it just fucking fell. And they were like... Was that supposed to happen? And then they just kept going on, right? And most of Bill Murray's lines were ad-libbed, things like that. So for a film where a lot of it isn't necessarily written, it's just ad-libbed what does it matter if you're writing for this character yeah. because they're not going to use these fucking lines you're writing anyway? Yeah.
0: Why well, don't give somebody the opportunity to be funny? Somebody To, to shine, give, yeah. Yeah, give them the moment to shine. Whereas introducing this character late and then including them as sort of an integral part of the cast in like promo and stuff mm-hmm. almost just feels like a tokenistic choice where you're making like this black person show up way late. They have very few scenes. And then at the end, they're like, He's a Ghostbuster. It's like a way to just show, like, we're diverse for the public. But in the narrative, he's barely there. It just seems like such a lazy way to throw in a character. Like, we're not even going to write. and He shows up for a job. We said yes. He's on the team. Yeah. Okay. Like, sure. I don't know. I was... That threw me for a loop. I guess I didn't notice that when I was a kid. But then this sort of very nonchalance about the whole process with Mm -hmm. him was very, like... What yeah. do you guys do It Like, what is this? <laughs> what what are these fucking choices that you're making narratively? Like, this is weird.
1: <laughs> Dude, as a kid, I didn't even realize that, like, uh, the gatekeeper and the oh. key master yeah. had a bone yeah. to, like, open up this portal, to another dimension. Yeah. Like, literally, how fucking on the nose can you be? Like, you insert the key into the hole and, like, Ooh. oh... Of course. Hot, hot. Just, uh, it was so tiring. And like, then they started like, they brought it back to religion, right? So it was like, it was Christianity the whole time, which made me laugh because then that means that the EPA guy being an asshole and the Ghostbusters were all a part of God's divine plan. Oh
0: my God. (laughs) That's so... Because
1: there's no other way that that would have happen yeah
0: if you're if you're trying to put this under the guise of a christian ideal being the ultimate truth in this narrative then it's just like oh really
1: (laughs) that that felt so like it felt just kind of like a inserted throwaway type thing because like you know there's always like people that are saying like oh we're living in revelations right i i grew up in a republican christian household surprise hey hey. Uh, i was forced to go to church every wednesday and sunday which i would often ditch oh man, it was the worst like I'll get into it at some point. <laughs> so tiring. But um <laughs> Christians love to like be like, we're in the end of times, you know, come to God, come to Christ, right?
0: But that's always been the case. We've it, always been in the end of times exactly. for hundreds of years, exactly. according to sort of Christian theology and doctrine. But they
1: love to see themselves represented in these things, oh, right? Oh absolutely. So like even if it's just like inserted into this really silly kind of thing, yeah. right? I was just kind of like, oh man, this is so tiring.
0: <laughs> True. Yeah, it was goofy.
1: It felt really weird. And, like, also really weird that, like, it it was just so thrown in there. Mm -hmm. Like, I was just... I was super down with the cult.
0: Yeah, I wanted to know about the cult
1: that built this fucking building. And also, like, if they built that building, how did they die out so quick? I know. Because that was, like, more of a modern building, too. Mm -hmm. So, like... How did they die out? Like That was I some to do early warm- New
0: York Rockefeller stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, I, I kind of hoped that there would be, like, one of the – maybe the last surviving member of the cult would, like, yeah. try to get the key master and the person together and, like, kind of guide them mm-hmm. or guide this. Like, yeah. I think that would have been real tight.
0: That would have been cool, yeah. Because I do think it got a little bit – I mean, the whole thing is wacky, but, like, it got a little bit um, – not misguided, but just kind of like, oh, okay, this is where we're... Okay, yeah, I guess we're going this way. That's cool. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm on board. Yeah, sure. But I did love... It was Gozer? Yeah. They were sick as fuck. <laughs> they were so, so cool. So tight. Like, A, if we're looking at this character from a fashion point, damn. Based that,
1: off of, like, David Bowie? The, yeah, was it like, was like... Oh, oh, man. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah, it was, like, very David Bowie, very... um, oh, What is her name? The supermodel who
1: pause
0: so i found it out i am a very bad gay and i'm so sorry to the queer community at large here. <laughs> um i cannot i'm so ashamed because i love grace jones so much that,
1: i knew it was like I a and i couldn't jones. think yeah.
0: of their name grace jones i think so, they,
1: she was supposed to they originally wanted her to be gozer too really like she then, was <sighs> she they were going to offer her the part but decided not to
0: how iconic would that have been so Grace good. Jones, Because the whole time I was like, oh, this hair, this look, this power, this ominous presence, this like strength. Like I, when that character showed up, I was like, they're the coolest. And the whole time I was just like, this is Grace Jones. I wish this was Grace Jones. Grace Jones would be so sick in this. It would be so much cooler. And like, there was a moment where it was just like, are you God? And they are like, no. And she's like, then die. And like <laughs> hits them with some Palpatine laser yes. finger energy shit, which was just like so dope. Um, And then that leads us into the ending where she's like, you get to choose who you want your destroyer to be. And then they're like, quick, empty your minds. Nobody think of anything. And then Dan Aykroyd thought of Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. And they were like, why did you think of that? And then that's when we get Marshmallow Man walking down the street. That's the ultimate baddie at the end. Because that's going to be the destroyer of the world. According to this awesome... Obesity
1: and consumerism.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a
1: whole other topic. (laughs) That is another topic. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. Oh,
1: man. But... Can we talk about Dan Aykroyd for a minute? Because he was my fucking favorite in the film. Yes, I agree. Like, what I loved about him is, like, no matter how shitty he was treated or anything, he just, like, he never gave Bill Murray the satisfaction. Yeah. Right? And he was just so, like, he had, like, this childlike wonder about everything, right? They're, like, trying to, like, wheel and deal with the person to buy the firehouse. And he's, like... (gasps) eyes boom like he like goes down the thing Is like cool when do we move in yeah. like the whole time he is just so yes and yeah and he is so like there is no idea that it's too out there he is just 100 percent here for this and 100 percent like he's a little bit dopey right but he's the person that has some hesitation before he does things like speak to gozer or speak to the apparition and stuff like that but he like he literally is the person that goes up and is like Oh, yeah. Um, hi. hi. Like, you know, he just wants to move forward and he wants to, like, uh, he has such a curiosity and he's, he's just so endearing. Yeah. He's the best part of this film.
0: I agree. He was the best. He is who I hoped most people identified with, but obviously that's not the case because I think most people identified with Bill Murray, especially yeah. male presenting people, cis males in general.
1: Well, Ackroyd was also like, because we, we talked about it on the last podcast too, like, how a character is written isn't necessarily how they're perceived. They're perceived through the other character's eyes. Yeah. So he's never really given a lot of agency because Bill Murray is always like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Right? True. But if you look at Ackroyd's character just in of itself without the lens of Bill Murray, then it's... He's so great. He
0: is. Yeah. I like this movie. (laughs) It's It's messy, but it's like... I thought it was cool. And then, like, even Egon, played by uh, Harold Ramis. Yeah. like So those were the only two, a part of that group, that I thought actually wanted to hunt ghosts.
1: Yeah, Bill Murray uh, didn't truly. care,
0: and then they threw in Winston, uh, played by Ernie Hudson.
1: Who just wanted a fucking job.
0: He just wanted a job, but, like, I just, I still can't get over that poor crafting of the narrative, like...
1: He didn't need to be in this film.
0: He didn't, and that's what makes me sad, is that yeah. they didn't, they scrapped an entire part of... But then was just like, well, let's just put a different black guy in there. And then they took made his screen time down to, what, like 15 minutes?
1: Maybe. Or exactly. something.
0: When he's supposed to be a main character. Like, oh, And okay. it's weird
1: to have a main character, like, introduced within the last, like, half hour of the film. Yeah. Right? Like, what is
0: that? So
1: <laughs> they should have just kept the original script and let somebody have that.
0: Let somebody try. Yeah. Yeah. You know?
1: Like, please, white people. <laughs> yeah. Just... Stop
0: it. And again, that's just hard, that just goes right back to... Just racism being very, very blatant and why I think that that move was a very tokening choice. Like they they, yes. they really just brought him in there for black representation and didn't give and him a chance to live and merchandising. And it was just so it's just so it's so boring and racist and gross. And I'm just like, Ugh, stop it. <laughs> Everyone stop it.
1: <laughs> Amen. Again, just watching it through this lens now is just it's so different.
0: It is different. Yeah. I do like it, though, because I feel like through this podcast and even in the last couple of years, I definitely was not very critical of the media I consumed. Oh, for sure. Same. I just was like, yeah, it was cool. It it didn't really matter. I mean, the intent behind things didn't matter. The product itself was the only thing that was important. And if it looked cool, I was like on board. But now looking at anything within the narrative, anything within the sort of cinema structure, these are all choices, everything is a choice for the most part being made by individual people with individual interpretations and individual voices so largely when you go back and look at media like we've been doing a lot of these choices really reflect the people of that time and most people suck (laughs) so (laughs) i think just (laughs) percentage wise there's going to be a lot of stories that are told by people who are not good generally. <laughs> well, I think
1: they're also products of their time, right? they products of their time, yeah. like, if most people were just trying to go with the general consensus of humor, or, you know, and a lot of it plays into money, and who's going to be able to, like, if this script is actually going to be able to be made, yeah. you know, for sure, not making excuses. But mm-hmm. it's really lovely that we live in a time where we can actually be really fucking critical about these things, and we're having a bigger conversation as a collective, mm-hmm. rather than just... Oh, this is good. Oh, this is bad. Like, no, let's talk about this and let's break down how we can create better characters and better representation.
0: Yeah, truly. Yeah. Couldn't agree more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Ghostbusters 2016, also very commonly referred to as the female reboot Mm -hmm. of the Ghostbusters universe. All right. After a spectral attack at a local museum, a group of scientists specializing in paranormal activity are called to investigate. After witnessing that ghosts are in fact real, these college ladies are fired from their university positions and open a ghost hunting business, which takes off almost immediately.
0: Meanwhile, inspired by a book written by our protagonist, Sad Boy Rowan initiates the final stages of his master plan to break the barrier and allow sad, angry boy ghosts to take over the world. After killing himself to become the empowered boy ghost leader he's always dreamed of, the Ghostbusters make their way to confront him in a battle to... Save save the the world.
1: world. Okay, let's get into this. Let's
0: dive right in.
1: So, okay. (laughs) Okay. I want to start by saying I loved this film. And I loved it for so many reasons that we're going to be getting into. But I want to talk about why I don't think it was liked initially. And I think a lot of it had to do with nostalgia, speaking of our podcast name. Yeah, 100%. Um, But because lots of men, lots of people that hold the Ghostbusters original version in the highest regard just didn't want it to be remade for... Whatever reason, Because they put it on this pedestal, right? Yeah. It's like sacred. And how dare you touch this? And it wasn't done any favors by the editing, by the, uh, especially the trailer that came out for this film, which was just kind of all over the place and couldn't decide if it wanted to be action or funny or it was like just paced really weird. And it also it from that trailer, it seemed like it was in the same universe, which was really weird.
0: Yeah, they implied that it was like 30 years later a new team, but it's like, no, in this universe, the other team didn't exist.
1: And still to this day, that trailer on YouTube is at least as of January earlier this year, twenty nineteen, it is still the most disliked thing on YouTube. Is like it has one point one million dislikes and only like thirty some or
0: like thirty thousand likes. Likes. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it is the most hated video on YouTube. And I mean the trailer sucked, I'll admit it, when this film was first coming out i saw the trailer and it was like absolutely not i do not fucking want this i don't need this yeah. and i am so glad that i was wrong
0: yeah so i sort of felt the same way in some capacity i was excited about it initially when i first saw the trailer i was like yeah all right. like it'll be cool i didn't really i guess at that time or even still today i love the fir- i like i really like the first ghostbusters movie like we'll get in that at the end but I thought this was going to be cool. I thought it was going to be great. And for the most part, yeah, it was cool and it was great. And I liked it. I had a huge problem with the editing and pacing of the movie itself. So I think the movie was almost perfect up until like the introduction of Leslie Jones's character into the narrative, I think felt a little sloppy. And then a lot of scenes that like, and Reading about it afterwards, there is a cut where a, a lot of the sort of pacing gets fixed in some capacity, or the pre edited theatrical version of this film has a lot of that pacing fixed.
1: The first edit of this film from what I read four hour- was 4 yeah. hours. Like which which I, would wa- I would totally watch yeah. because oh I loved it. But yes. but yeah, I think you're right. I think some of that pacing could have been fixed if they had kept some other things in. I mean, as it is, it was already a long film. Oh, 100%. Right? Um it it was already like two, over 2 hours. Yeah. You know.
0: That's with a lot of really sharp cuts like in like weird spots. Like even one that I hated when they go to the concert and it's like they walk in which is like cool we're introduced to this like scenario mm-hmm. they do a really weird cut to the band for like <laughs> four seconds and then it cuts right back to the joke um, where she's like is the weird the hat which is a fun joke I thought it was great but they cut those two so close that like it's supposed to be like an ominous moment where they're like investigating these rooms and it was before and then they cut to the loud music like this band who's playing some shitty song to a crowd who doesn't care (laughs) and then it cuts right back to this moment where you've broken the tone fully broken the tone of like what's supposed to be happening and this moment was supposed to be like kind of jumpy but like goofy neither landed because of this edit before and i was like that sucks because like that would have been a cool joke and in the same scene there was another joke with leslie jones where melissa mccarthy jumps to catch her to go like she's crowd surfing whatever which Mm -hmm. i was like i'm bored but that's fine and then leslie (laughs) jones does she does the same thing nobody catches her the joke is i don't know if it was a race thing or a lady thing but i'm mad as hell yeah (laughs) the joke is i thought was fantastic and wonderful in the way that it was, like, framed, I don't think it worked very well. As a standalone joke, I was like, yes, so fun. But that whole scene where it's just... It was... I feel like the scene was 30 minutes, and it was 20 minutes too long. Yeah. The concert scene. And, like, they had to do this whole thing when they capture the ghost finally. They're just, like, running around the stage and the band's playing, like, ooh, yeah. And she, like, breaks a guitar. And I was like, you could have cut to them just leaving. Like, that, that whole... I, yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's how that's how both of our shows grow, right? I mean, if you don't know, we're both musicians. Yes. All of our shows are that sick. Like, you totally. know, Ghost Comes Up. Uh, Throws me into know. a
0: bunch of amp stacks. <laughs> yeah, for
1: sure. I mean, it's cool. Like, no worries. Yeah. We, so, we break our guitars frequently. Oh, you know, 100%. It's, you know, it's theatrics.
0: Yeah. So, I like, I think I'm just jumping into the, my immediate problem with the movie. I do think that it was well-written. I do think that there is a version of this script that exists and a version of this narrative that exists that makes really, like it makes sense and it's also paced well and it's also cares about the characters enough to make things feel organic in the relationship. Both the tension between Kristen Wood's character and Melissa McCarthy's character with the book. Mm-hmm. Um, one didn't want it to get out because they want tenure at the college that they're working at. The other's like, you sold out, you used to believe in ghosts and now you're pretending like you don't. I think that this edit was fine with that, but I think the other, like, I want to see that four hour version because I think that it really, that version would have made me feel way more invested. And Kristen Wiig had a boyfriend in the other version, which I guess there are some moments like when she, re- oh, I, I'm bouncing all over the place here.
1: You kind of are. I'm but s- it's okay. so it's sorry. okay. Get this out and then, and then we'll know. talk about it. Yeah. Because there
0: was, a, there was a moment too where like Bill Murray shows up and he is like, I think you're lying. Ba, ba, ba. And again, kind of just being like, crummy character, a crummy guy. And Kristen Wiig's like, no, I need to prove this. I need to prove this. And they're like, why? He doesn't matter. And they end up letting the ghost out. There was a scene, or several scenes before, where her boyfriend, who was completely edited out, is making her believe that her opinions are less than, and where he's convincing her essentially that her opinion doesn't matter and like he doesn't believe her. It's like almost like a a small, low-key gaslighting narrative. So if that's like this scene butted up with these two previous scenes where she is being sort of belittled and gaslit. And then for another stranger man to be like, I also don't believe you. I think you're lying. That gives so much more motive to the idea of being like, well, I'm going to fucking prove it. Yeah. Well, boom. I'm
1: going to push back on that a little yes, bit. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm going to push back on it because really you don't understand. Um, so Kristen Wiig's character's name is Aaron. Yes, and yes, you yes. don't truly get her or her motives until later on. The whole reason, like her her entire... Existence yeah. Is based around this traumatic event that happened when she was a kid. Yes. Where she had a ghost that would come visit her and kind of hang out. And like, she was truly afraid of for over a year. Yeah, every And night. she was trying to tell people and nobody believed her. So again, just like in the old one, there's this narrative of believing women. Yes. She was never believed. She was just made fun of, you know. So a big part of her life is spent trying to... Like, she finds one person that believes in her, which is Abby. They become best friends. They do all this stuff together. They have this super cute little, like, song and dance Mm -hmm. presentation, right, when they were kids. Yeah. But... Her entire story is trying to be believed. She bases her career around trying to prove paranormal activity so people will fucking see her. Yes. Because all she wants is to be seen and to be heard and to be believed because she's been bullied her whole life by her parents, by the kids at school, by everybody except Abby. Yeah. So they come up with um, – they write this book. They have all of this stuff that they write that is really, really smart. And I think what we don't get that I really would have liked to see is why she – left Abby and went on the path that she is now. Personally, I think it's because she was tired because trying to get people to understand and to listen to you yeah. and your, and to believe you yeah. is fucking tiring. Truly. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and this was her whole life. So I think, you know, she just got tired and she was exhausted and she was tired of being the outsider, you know, cause she was always trying to like push her way in and say, no, look, I'm important. Look, I am telling the truth. Listen to me, like see me. Yeah. And They never do. So she just kind of then assimilates into society and what the society is telling her to be, right? So she turns her back on all that stuff and then gets this she's clearly miserable when we first see her in this film. Clearly. Like and she's talked down to by her boyfriend. By, like, you know, the society where it's like, no matter what she says, she can't get ahead, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I think superstition is, uh, well, yeah, it's dumb. Like, actually, superstition is really great, like, you know, and that there's studies, and she's like, oh, well, I'm always wrong. It's okay, y- yeah. you know? And, uh, she's just constantly, put down by everybody in this world that she's trying to assimilate to, that she's trying to... All the people that she wants to believe her, she actually doesn't like. And she actually doesn't feel like she belongs. But she... It's so funny because even though she's so tired of trying to get people to believe all this stuff and everything, she's even more miserable and more exhausted in that space. Yeah, And so... I mean, we see it when she's just, like, she just kind of talks to herself all the time. Yeah. She's she's trying to, like, you know, like, reason with herself. She's trying to be, like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Like, you know, like, oh, no, that's great. It's fine. Everything is fine. This plant, you know, I'm just getting getting some air. I'm not fired. It's fine. You know? Well, and
0: what I will say, like, that whole storyline, 100%, and I totally see it, but I think, I don't think it was told as eloquently as you just told it. I agree. Because... The only person who really is not believing her that we see as an audience is the guy who she's trying to get tenure from.
1: Well, and her boyfriend, and but her boyfriend just,
0: wasn't even in the movie. You let's know, what go I mean? back to the. Yeah.
1: Well, he was just in in little parts where he like you know in the very beginning he like takes her to this party and he's like trying to like schmooze like he the way that her boyfriend treats her.
0: Which version did you watch? He
1: no, he's he's in it.
0: Is he? I didn't see a single glimpse of him in the theatrical release. In the theatrical release, that character does not exist. I did watch it twice because I wanted to make sure that... Do these opinions hold? Am I still thinking this? Was it a weird past? Was I in a weird mood? Like, what was the thing? So I watched it two nights ago, and then I watched it last night. I believe in the theatrical release. The boyfriend does not exist which makes it very confusing for me because she is saying nobody believes her, but the only person who we see as an audience in the theatrical version who doesn't believe her is the guy she's trying to get tenure from. And then she switches, and then the only other time we hear about her story about the ghost is this one time when she's talking with Melissa about it. I'm using the actress' names, not the Mm -hmm. character names, because I (laughs) don't remember things. Uh, Which, again, which is why I'm like, I could be totally wrong here, everybody. We should Google it. We should Google it. I, I I honestly think
1: holy shit he was cut yeah that fucking changes everything it does and even like even in the extended version he is in so little of the film that i was like oh yeah well they obviously cut out a lot of it but like holy shit but
0: in the theatrical release they cut him and every mention of him i think she says like my boyfriend maybe once or twice but it goes nowhere and then later when she's explaining her story and how nobody believes her i'm like who's nobody? Cause the only person we've seen thus far is the guy you're trying to get tenure from. He just
1: fucking blew my mind. Yeah.
0: And so that's, so for me, that was like the editing down and like, cause like they cut out a lot of things that for the audience, not having seen this would have given us the emotional tie to be like, Oh, nobody is listening to her. Look at this person, this person, this person, nobody cares. And I get the frustration and I get oh, why you would fine. want to let that ghost out. But then when she does it, I'm like, why'd you do that? Nobody's telling you no. Like, the the professor who you don't give a shit about that's it you know what I mean oh it was wild
1: oh damn <laughs> I like, know. I feel like okay so the next time that we watch a movie you need to like we need to I, talk I, about it a little bit more because so like, sorry I every time because I've seen this movie multiple times because I do really love it yeah and, and I uh, mm-hmm. I always watch the extended version so like mm-hmm. now I fucking understand like. Holy shit! Because in like, in
0: theaters, he was never in theaters. That guy never geez, was in the story in theaters. what
1: a bad call! Which
0: sucks, because it does seem like, I will fully say, the story, I think, I like I was saying earlier, I think there's a version out there that is fucking beautiful and perfect, and like the development of these characters, the development of their relationships, the development of, of the, the emotional ties that lead them to the decisions that they make, I think there is so much there, and I think it's fucking awesome. Not even getting into the comedic beats of this whole thing, because Comedically, there's so many fucking good moments, even in the theatrical version. She's great. She's Uh, so good. Um, But I just it's crazy to me that they edited down so much. And then even within that, because I don't know if in the the other release, but like it's supposed to be some sort of um, uh, Rocky. He's training
1: montage montage.
0: It's supposed to be some sort of pseudo montage without the overlay of music. But they're cutting between scenes. It's like them learning how to use the gun in the alleyway. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts to like them doing something else and then them doing something else and then back to that. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of other stuff happens. And then it goes 20 minutes later. It cuts back to the montage of them in the alleyway again of them still learning how to use the guns and other gadgets. And I was like, okay, but why? It's literally the same time. They all look exactly the same as they did maybe a day before in the scene, and they just do all this stuff, and then they cut right back to that. It seems like they released the wrong edit. It really seems like they released the wrong it, edit.
1: Yeah, because, like, I've only seen the extended version, yeah. and I have didn't have any of the issues that totally. you had. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, and a lot of that was apparent in the trailer, right? Like, I mean, yeah. the trailer absolutely did not mo- do the film justice. No. So whoever was in charge of editing for this film did a <laughs> fucking horrible job. And I'm really fucking mad, because, yeah. like... This, just, this is so infuriating yeah. because like, I mean, yeah, I get it. Phil was a subplot or whatever, but he was supposed to represent everybody that didn't believe her growing up. Everybody that always kind of put her down and always like, I, I have a whole thing written on how I wanted to talk about him and how he never, he just kind of. She's addressing for his arm, you know, she's, she literally is just, and he's embarrassed by her. He's with her, but he's embarrassed.
0: And we can still talk about that. we absolutely still can. Oh man. You know what I mean? Because, because then people can watch both versions. So I'm the version who hasn't seen the extended. Yeah. You're the version who has. Oh man. So we can have the conversation about like that. And I'll be like, whoa, that happened. I had no idea. You know what I mean? God
1: damn. Isn't that crazy? I'm going to say right now, if this is your first time and you haven't watched it, this Ghostbusters thing. Gets a lot of bad press, a lot of stuff, and it has nothing to do with anything other than the editing.
0: Really, it,
1: because really, it like, is. I, I have so many amazing things to talk. Listen, we're going to talk yeah. about this movie forever because yeah. because I love it so much. Watch the extended version because
0: the theatrical version is wild. Oh, I was that's, like,
1: that's so. It's really sad. disappointing.
0: I know, and I, that's why I had so many like small opinions, and I didn't really know what to say other than editing because I think. The colours making it like almost comic bookish with like all of these really, really, really deep pigmented colours of like green and blue and purple and like I was like, Yes, give me eighties yeah. slime. Reds, give me the- Yes, give me all of that. I love it. The way it looked, the comedy, the jokes, sort of like the tie in to Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and like I it's thought it,
1: Weaver it's Gorny Weaver
0: even in the end. All of that was great I love it I love the whole they go to the firehouse and they're like oh my god it's the place and we're like yes the same place and it's like it's $20,000 a month she's like go to hell (laughs) what do you mean what do you go to she's like I did love that that was great and then they're like they have to settle for something else because we're telling a story we're retelling this story set in a modern day New York City which is fucking expensive so it's like well we can't have this thing that was kind of a centerpiece for the old film because in this day and age we can't afford it
1: all right, so Unvised. now that we've, we've yeah. established that there really is a huge difference in the theatrical release and the extended cut, yeah. who fucking knew that it wasn't like a Lord of the Rings situation where it's just four more hours of walking? Oh, we- <laughs> I
0: was going <laughs> to say running, yeah. Four hours of running on grass.
1: Um, <laughs> let's go back to the believing women. Yeah. So, in my version, Mm -hmm. Phil represents, like I said, all of those people that didn't believe her. So, when it makes a lot of sense, when Bill Murray's character, who is like a Fox News pundit kind of dude, right? He comes up and he's like, well, you caught a ghost, right? And she's like, yeah, it's right here. Like, oh, well, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. And he's just being an asshole about Mm -hmm. it. And, like, so he's baiting her. Of course, like, and I can relate so hard to her where, like... Literally, her proof is right here, and she can just show the whole world. And, like, she just, you really just need validation from one fucking person yep. that didn't believe you. Not just somebody that believed you, but somebody that, like, actively told you that you're crazy or that you are wrong or you're lying, right? Yeah. You just need validation from that one person one person to represent that. And so that's what she did in that moment. And it sucks that, you know, she did that, but. I get it, you know? And I thought that that was a really relatable part of her character because, again, going back to, like, this storyline that you didn't get in the theatrical (laughs) version is she, her whole character... And that sucks because her whole character is based around, like, just having this traumatic experience and not being believed. Yep. Fuck!
0: And that's what, in the theatrical version, because I haven't seen the extended like we've established, that's what made it so confusing for me in that moment when she said, no, I am going to show him, I'm like... He means nothing. Why are you doing this for this person who sucks? Like you've established yourself as this like relatively confident in the face of all this, the adversity that we've seen thus far. Mm -hmm. And this is the first moment of adversity since you've gained that confidence back with Melissa McCarthy and Kate McKinnon, where they're like, that's the one I knew. I remember this person like, "Yeah, yeah, you're back. Like, let's do it. And they're all just like, yeah. And then this one asshole shows up and he's like, I mean, nothing to you and I don't believe you. And she's like, well, okay." And like, what? What do you mean? Like, yeah, why'd you do that? Like, so
1: confusing for audiences. It was, audiences. Very, it was very
0: confusing. Yeah, Man. that was weird. I don't know what else happened in the the extended one. Like, do you have? So I heard that he was the biggest plot hole. As far the as the boyfriend, yeah, just him not existing in this world really took away a lot of well, what we begin to empathize. That's so with. interesting
1: because he wasn't even really in a lot of it. He was like maybe made up like five minutes total screen time, mm-hmm. which is when you think about that in relation to a movie like this, it shouldn't be a lot. But when it's a whole character that's cut out, I guess it is.
0: It's almost like writing like a six page essay and then taking out the thesis statement. Yeah. In the grand scheme of the whole thing, it doesn't really matter. But he was sort of the avatar segue for the audience to say, we believe you, Kristen Wigg. Like, we're in your corner. This guy sucks. And he is, like, putting you down and making you feel less than. We empathize
1: with you. Well, and it's a way for her to, like, for you to sympathize with her immediately. Exactly. Because he is a garbage bag. Yeah. He, like, the whole time, like I said, like, he's, like, he's with her, but he's embarrassed of her. Is kind of how he acts. He can't be seen with her. But he, like... She's kind of a lovable goober, right? And he is trying to kind of gaslight her and like manipulate her to be like, this is not how I want you to act. So when she starts acting in a way or saying something that he doesn't want to hear or he doesn't want to be associated with, he just kind of turns away and like just completely ceases to acknowledge her existence. And that's his way of subtly doing manipulation to her. And then he does other things where he is like, That's what you're wearing. Like, all the fucking men in this movie had a comment about Kristen Wiig's character's clothing, which they can fuck right off, right? You know, she's like, what? What's wrong with this? You know? And it's all men. None of the women give a shit. It's all just like, that's what you're wearing? Mm -hmm. Like, her fucking boss, her boyfriend, her like, all these people are trying to police how she looks and how she acts and what she does, you know? And it was just so disgusting. And then... When you get that introduction about Phil and that's reiterated with with the dean, it's just like, oh, yeah, y'all are pieces of shit. Yeah. And you want her to break away from that and you want her to find her own voice. And so when she does and when she like discards Phil, that means so much more. But you don't get that satisfaction, man. And what's
0: wild, too, is they've set this up in like the sort of the rule of threes, essentially, with like introducing these sort of adversaries. So it's Mm -hmm. Phil, then the guy and then Bill Murray on the third one. She's like, fuck it. I'll show this thing. And even after leaving Phil, like you said, yeah, she left him. Now she's like growing and she's becoming a better person. But even in that growth, there is still a couple steps back when still faced with that same adversity because trauma stays with you in that way. So with that as a storyline, I would be like, oh, fuck. I get it. Like, I get why you did that. I resonated
1: with that so much and I'm so sorry that you didn't get that (laughs) because you need to watch it again. I'm going to
0: watch the extended version Uh, because We
1: can watch it together. Let's try to find that, like, four-hour version because the first cut of this film was four hours and I would love to watch all of it because, like, the other thing, too, is, like, these women are all so diverse the way they wrote them, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're so layered and they're so lovely and so wonderful. Like, even people that are, like, just there for laughs. Let's say, like, Holtzman, right? Super smart. She does not give a fuck if you're a man or a woman or whatever. She's just, like, if you're hot, you're hot. she's in it. Yeah. You know? She's, like, allowed to be crude. You know, she's allowed to be silly. She's allowed to be funny. But she is always just so smart.
0: Totally, yeah. You know? And, like, even in the, when when they're developing the thing, she's like, well, this was this way last time. She's like, so I did this to do this. I did this to do this. I did this to do this. And also this because it looks cool. Anyways, so here's a way better gun than you had before. And you're like, <laughs> oh, fuck yeah, that's sick.
1: Yeah. The thing that I heard about her necklace, it's a screw you necklace. Did you get that? I didn't. No, no, no. Because like, it's like the pendant thing and it's just a circle and it's a U with a screw. So it's screw you.
0: Oh, that's cool. Isn't that cute? I love that.
1: <laughs> but like one of the things that let's... Get away from things that maybe didn't exist in, in your version of the yeah. story. And and maybe we'll probably definitely find some more as we go through. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. But yeah. female friendship and strength. I want to talk about that. Yeah. Because so a couple things to point out right off the bat, especially with your version, right? There is no romance in the film. Was it? No. This whole film was about female friendship. Yeah. And about overcoming the patriarchy, essentially. But there was not a romance in the film. And even when Phil is in the film, like in mine, he is just such a small thing. Like, I didn't even really consider him a plot point. That's why I was like, what the fuck do you mean he's not in there? Like, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Because he wasn't important and he wasn't romance to me. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like a big thing. It was just like, oh, yeah, he's trash. Whatever. Move on. But so there was no romance and there was no exploitation of female sexuality at all.
0: You know what? Yeah, you're right. There really wasn't. That was. Yeah. That was the narrative that I liked the most was this female friendship. Just the building of yes anding. And like even yeah. with Leslie Jones, when she shows up, even though that still felt like sort of outsider thing, just like in the first one where it's just like, oh, the black character. And mm-hmm. they did a better job at integrating this character who isn't a part of the science mm-hmm. uh, in any capacity to be there. And she's like, yeah, I'm a part of this. I don't care. Like, I want to be here. They're like, well, we don't know you. She's like, well, let's get to know each other.
1: Well, and I would she, like to be a
0: part of this thing. She and that's some, what I liked. She has more. something to
1: offer right off the bat. She does. Too. She's like, you know what? You may know science, but I know New York. And yeah. I love that. Like, cause so often when we see like people that are authorities on big cities and things like that, they're like stuffy old white men or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she is this like fucking awesome Blackley that is just like, oh yeah, and this place was built on top of this and she knows the history of the city. She's a history hobbyist of New York, which is so great because like, that plays into, throughout the whole film, it's not just like, oh, you know this one thing, Boom, that's it. She's the person that gets to say, like, oh, this is where this was built. And, oh, this is why this is here. And this is why this is here, you know. And even she's the one that figures out how to actually, like, reverse everything at the end, even though she's not a scientist. Yeah. Right? So she is always given agency. And she always has this presence. And she's always like, you need me. I can help you. I can do this. And she's always confident. And the the other women are like... Yeah, okay, cool. And that's just such another thing is they all lift each other up and they all hold their own space and they're never condescending to each other. No. While all of the men in the film... Are super condescending and just like don't give a shit and like even even the little soup boy right <laughs> oh my like oh it's soup you know and she's like this is dirty dishwater you know and he's like yeah whatever <laughs> like yeah but then at the end he's all like it's all
0: this she's like we have to find a good ratio <laughs> like there's got to be a middle ground it can't all be wontons and what or one wonton <laughs> yeah
1: but like all all the men in this whole like are all shitty to everybody right yeah. but like they throughout the whole thing. They're together and they're allowing each other to, like, have that space and to have that agency without stepping on each other. Yeah. And they're, like, they're also never overwhelmed when something happens. It's like, oh, shit, how do we move forward? Because they have been existing in a world where nobody cares. You know, like, our first introduction, let's go back to Leslie Jones's character, Patty. She's an attendant for the subway. And so she's sitting there and she's like, hey, how's it going? Hi. You know, she's sitting in this little booth because she just, all she wants is human interaction. And she's denied that at every point because people are just walking by or whatever, you know, and she's just like kind of, love your shirt, you know, okay, see you later. And the only interaction that she gets is from our little sad boy villain, who's just like, the workers will die last. And you're like, oh my God, you're boring. Yeah,
0: you're boring. (laughs)
1: But, yeah, like, they never put each other down. They just pull each other up because they realize that they're how they're going to get through this, right? And even even in the very last part where – and I totally cried. I cried so hard because they did such a really good job of showing that these two women had, you know, gone their separate ways. And they were still able to come back together and have this amazing friendship. And when Kristen Wiig dives in to go get her, without fucking hesitation, just fucking like, boom, I'm going in after my best friend. Yeah. And so there's a line that Rowan uses when he talks about all of the ghosts in this other realm, right? He's like, they're all angry and they're all men, (laughs) you know, like all all of these like evil spirits that he unleashes and everything right so when you think about the two women in there they're literally inside the heart of toxic masculinity and they are saving each other from that one person is about to be pulled down presumably to never see anybody ever again Mm -hmm. and she goes in after her friend not giving a shit about what happens to her because the only way they're gonna make it through is together yeah I cried so hard, like, after, ah, oh, man, it was so good.
0: I want to see the extended version really bad now, because I didn't have that same takeaway at the end. Or that same emotional thing. Just The, the story didn't lead me to that same conclusion. Really? Yeah. Oh, Which cried. is wild, because it was a cool ending, and I did like it. I absolutely did love the ending, to a certain extent. But the narrative of the theatrical release did not lead me to that same conclusion, emotionally at least. It didn't lead me to that same spot. I mean, obviously, again, because in this conversation, I'm a male presenting person, right? So it's not like I'm not – I can understand and empathize with emotional tie into it. But at least in the theatrical release, because of that lack of empathy building within this world, it was like I still felt like an outsider to these characters who I should feel – at home with, right? Oh, I felt. So I should at feel home. so comfortable with all of these characters, but I felt like I was still learning stuff about them in the end. When I was like, "Oh, that seems weird." Oh,
1: and question. I wonder how much of that is like, you know, not everybody is going to have the same takeaway from a film. Oh right? no, and exactly and that. So That's, like, yeah, I wonder how much of it is the extended version or the differences between you being male presenting and me being, you know, female presenting, yeah. and from the struggles that I've had versus the struggles you've had, or like how I feel as a woman and the struggles that I have as a woman, right? So, like, something that you may not have noticed. Yeah. There's so many moments. Each of these women are, like, sitting there kind of, like, talking to themselves, kind of like, okay, I can do this. Let's do this. Where they're talking to themselves, where they're just, you know, psyching themselves out or, like, trying to tell themselves it's okay or trying to do stuff like that because that's what you do as a woman, you know? Like, because you're just kind of always navigating this area that... You're not necessarily allowed to be in or there are very strict rules about, obviously, let's go with what's in this universe, how you can act, what you have to wear, you know, like yeah. in order to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And so, like, just them just always kind of accept Holtzman because Holtzman is like just so fucking good all the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, I think she just she also walks a really like walks a line that the other women aren't. No. Um, and I, yeah, I agree with that. But, like, you know, they're just kind of like, OK okay, I can do this. All right. Ooh, it's fine. You know, just they're always kind of talking to themselves, reassuring themselves, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. I want to go back to what you were saying about female friendship in the sense of camaraderie enclosed within one another in the opposing sort of world of fragile masculinity. Like you said, they, yes, and, and they never belittle one another. Whereas everyone around them is constantly like all the men are constantly like kind of putting each other down. And even like Rowan, he's like, being told that he's crazy by everybody they're like oh yeah i like the waiters they're just like oh i'm not going to him no you go to him like he's this guy's crazy i don't want this these small moments where it's like people are just like putting each other down but they never do that to one another even if there's a question or a moment of doubt it's just like try it again let's try it again let's go again let's do this again like yeah that's true you know what i mean any small shadow of doubt that any of them have it's like it's not even like a you failed and understand that you failed move past it it's a You can try that again. Or like,
1: have you tried it this way? And then they're like, oh, cool.
0: Great. Thank you. Like, it's nothing but sort of a nourishing environment for each one of them, especially somebody or the the relationship between Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig, because Mm -hmm. they were so opposed for years, right? Because of the Mm -hmm. book. And they had this sort of, will you abandon me? Will you abandon me? Friendship. And then trying to rekindle that flame back into what it once was being best friends and being able to to trust one another when both of them felt like there was some distrust there once that friendship had broken seeing that in combatants with all this toxic shit and then at the end like this idea of jumping into that pit and that pit being toxic masculinity or the idea of it because i it's hard for me to like understand if it's either i forgot it or Mm. if it's just the other the, the theatrical release, but when you said like he was referencing that all the ghosts were boys, mm-hmm. I don't remember that.
1: And you know what's? It was just such a throwaway line. Was
0: it? Yeah, maybe, I, I, maybe I I actually never it. caught it until, okay. and
1: I've seen this film like the extended version several times. Yeah. So, um, but when I was watching it, when the Ghostbusters come into like his little like secret layer mm-hmm. underneath, you know, in the basement, and he's the most boring villain. Can I just say because he's just like such a baby man? Yeah, and he was- he's like it, he's also. Just, like, obviously mentally ill, and there's always a problem when we present all villains as mentally ill. Yeah. But anyways, he's standing there, and he's like, these are my friends, kind of, right? They're mostly men! <laughs> like, oh, okay. Uh, he, it's just, it's this very, like, throwaway line. I forget exactly what it is, but it's like, they have been wronged too. And they're mostly men, but he makes a point to say that they're
0: mostly men, right?
1: Which I think is a bigger comment on because um, when they announced that they were going to be doing a female Ghostbusters, oh, everyone there was, was So much backlash, yeah, and like they addressed that head on a In, couple times, where they're well, talking the about section, YouTube yes. comments when mm-hmm. they're talking about how people perceive them, all this other stuff. Which you know, I mean, Leslie Jones was bullied off of the internet because people are. This is a fucking fictional world, y'all. If you have a problem with somebody, like, I mean, you should never, ever, ever bully somebody to the point to where they have to get offline. Especially because, like, they're just doing their job. And Leslie Jones did a fucking amazing job in this.
0: It's just frustrating that people don't know how to... It's the problem I have with, like not owning your shit, right? Because we all have bags, we all have opinions, we all have these moments, but people don't know how to sit with uneasiness. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes, and like it sort of seeps into when people have a lot of like toxic relationships, it's because neither person or maybe just one person doesn't know how to manage their stress or doesn't know how to manage their anger or their their sadness or these moments where they feel vulnerable and small. And I will go back to this. It's largely cis men who don't know how to fucking cry. Kyle. (laughs) Jesus. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah just have a good cry session because then you're less likely to try to give your baggage onto other people through through anger, through violence, through misunderstanding. And a lot of these guys who are like coming after the Ghostbusters and being like, it's not my thing. I'm blood. Fuck you. And you're just, you're wrong. And it's just like, this is your own personal baggage that you're translating into this thing because of nostalgia, because of this thing that you held so dear. You don't know how to process these emotions yourself. So you're now giving those emotions away by means of getting rid of them. But you're just going to come face-to-face with this in the future when you come into some other stressful environment or something that makes you uneasy, something that you don't necessarily like, instead of dealing with that and processing and asking yourself, hey, why don't I like this? Or why is this making me uncomfortable? Have that conversation with yourself to figure that out instead of just packing it up into a little fucking paper bag and throwing it at the closest person next to you. Like, that's not fair. And now they have to wade through that. And that's what Leslie Jones had to deal with. All of these people throwing their own fucking baggage and garbage at her through means of racial epithets and bullying and belittling and misogynistic overtone very clearly i hate you because you're a woman type shit
1: right because that's what it was about it and wasn't that's what it that was they about. were remaking ghostbusters or anything because like they did like an animated series they mm-hmm. did like video game all this other stuff and it is a woman thing mm-hmm. you know because like in case you couldn't tell from our lovely descriptions it is basically the same film just with a different villain. Yeah, the same exactly. film, the same premise, the same everything. Mm-hmm. And if you have a problem with this, it is you are sexist.
0: Well, yeah, with the ideas of it. If you the have a ideas, problem with yes. the ideas of it because it is so unfortunate that the theatrical release was the theatrical release. Oh my god, that edit was just like it was not the best and like when people say it sucked I can kind of empathize with that just based on what they saw in the theaters because it was not a good edit or good portrayal of a narrative story about these people. But I blame that on the edit because I do think that the story was cool. I think the the world building was pretty cool for the most part. But there are just some moments that just got plucked out that I'm like, wait, there's something missing here. Why? Mm. It just it got a little confusing in certain parts because of that specifically. And it sucks because then people who... Are misogynist and shitty, and like they're gonna tie. Well, the movie sucked. It's like, yeah, but like you're not going in and seeing why it sucked. You're just projecting your own misogynistic hatred onto this thing that you perceive as bad because of your hatred for women, and so you're not asking why it was bad. And it was like it was editing. It wasn't. It wasn't great because of the editing. Mm-hmm. And I know that. I know that for a fact. But it's just so unfortunate that that was the version that got released because it it gave, I feel like it just gave these guys who already had no ammunition some ammunition to say, well, it was bad. Like, shut yeah. up, you and- know what I mean? Like, just go to go to bed. All of you guys, go take a nap. You're done. <laughs> Clock out. Clock out and go to bed. Like, go eat a snack. Actually, you know what? Go eat a snack. <laughs> go read a really sad book. No, you don't know how to read. It's fine go watch a movie that makes you sad or go read a poem that your girlfriend in seventh grade wrote for you and like that you're still mad about even though you're 37 then go cry about it and go to bed like just go to bed we're done hearing from you we don't need to hear from you anymore (laughs) like we're tired we're tired of hearing from you and we might take a nap later but we're gonna talk about why we're critically mad at you so you sleep first and then we'll go take a nap (laughs) I don't know where I'm going with this you know what I'm saying? Just uh. I,
1: you, man. It's <laughs> it's just so hard it because, is so hard. like, I did really love that the villain of this film, the true villain of this film, was toxic masculinity. Yeah, right. And the villain in this film was literally everybody that was saying this was going to be a horrible film initially. That was like, oh well, fuck this, I'm not watching this, and like they did that really smart. Yeah, because it this is a very. Feminist film in the sense that it's women kind of fighting for their place and taking down people that taking down the Internet trolls, taking down people that don't believe in them or that, you know, not even taking them down, but just like confronting them when they were like, hey, don't kill yourself. There's so much great stuff in the world. There's soup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was all they could come up with because they are so fucking tired from having to be like, as women, we always have to be better. We always have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. We always have to do, and it's so fucking tiring. Well, even y'all. look at that like,
0: scene. Look at that scene by yes. itself because there's this white man who's, for the most part, has, like, obviously, any conversation about mental illness aside within this character himself. We're looking at this white man who, for the most part, has had all of the privilege in his life, right? Like, he's had—he's both male, so he has that power. He's white, so he has that power in this world. He's having to now be talked off the ledge of suicide by these people who've had to deal with so much more adversity than he's ever seen in his life, probably. Right?
1: Well, and also, like, the whole Grandmaster plan to, like, take over the world or whatever and make people feel sorry or yeah. whatever is literally so like he he read their book he read their book and he literally took their words and twisted them into something else and so that is how he is getting his revenge is by twisting the words of these women into something else that is going to take on a life of its own
0: yeah so he's using their work their hard work and essentially just taking that spinning it and now that they're confronting him they have to convince him that his life is worth living even though they have every right to be like you fucking suck like not again and i'm gonna rephrase what i just said because that is not me advocating for any kind of self-harm or anything to that capacity and i fully understand the, the like what the way i phrased that was like misleading that's not what i'm saying i'm saying that this character as himself was not a good person but if we're looking at this relatively allegorically or from like a sort of social perspective it is what is happening every day it's 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 women who are strong and have gone through stuff and have gone through trauma and have gone through so much adversity and have brought themselves to a place where like i am confident and i'm going to be this person talking to white cis men who haven't had to go through pretty much anything for the most part of their lives Mm -hmm. um trying to tell them why they're worth it and why they should like really reconsider certain things and it's like that's not their job but more often than not it It ends up being their job because men don't know how to handle their own shit again Kyle (laughs) cry about it go fuck mm, I it makes me so mad
1: some guy uh, named Kyle is listening to this I know what the fuck (laughs) sorry
0: that Kyle but I'm saying Kyle is a euphemism for all straight white men generally
1: It's just so interesting that I feel like they knew they were going to get this hate when they started writing this and all of that. And so I just I love that they tried to, like, tackle that head on. But I feel like it was done so subtle and so smart that maybe it was missed a little bit. Because, like, again, all these ghosts that want to come through really just want to terrorize everybody because they were hurt. Yeah. Because they never process their emotions. Everybody with unfinished business didn't process their emotions. So go to therapy. Therapy (sighs) is great. Talk to your friends about this stuff. Be vulnerable because we all have feelings and emotions and it's okay to have them. We should just talk. We should just just talk talk about it.
0: Again, and that's so – thank you for bringing that up because I was like – yeah, unfinished business because they felt like they were – they wanted to come back to seek vengeance when it's just like, no, process your own shit. And Like just everyone needs to be vulnerable and allow themselves a space to talk about. it. And I know a lot of people don't have that space or that safe space where they can be vulnerable and talk about it. That's why therapy is so important. That's why having people around you who allow you to be vulnerable without shaming you, without belittling you into a place where it says like, oh, well, you're weak and I'm going to take advantage of that. Like, and most men do when they see people in a vulnerable state, like we talked about with Bill Murray. The only reason he's attracted to any of these women is because they're small and vulnerable. The moment that one of them becomes bigger than him, both emotionally and, and, and their power is just, like, stronger than he will ever be is the only time that he's disinterested in that person sexually, let alone the idea that he's only looking at women as sex objects, because that's all he's yeah, doing yeah. there. And that's <laughs> that's the only thing we're talking about. The only reason he wants to be with Sigourney Reavers is to fuck. But when she gets strong and she's no longer second-guessing and she's, she is, like, feeling incredibly confident, he's no longer sexually interested, and that's exactly what all of this is. Like...
1: Yeah, well, and... Really, Rowan is just a victim of toxic masculinity. Yeah. Where I feel like the first film was showing what toxic masculinity looks like, and this film was showing how toxic masculinity affects people, like the victims of toxic masculinity. So we have Rowan, who feels like he's not empowered because he doesn't have muscles because everybody kind of looks down on him cuz they think he's a little weird and stuff like that. Yeah. But then when he becomes ultimate ghost whatever possession god person, right? He takes the body of Chris Hemsworth, right? Which we need to talk about Chris Hemsworth in a little bit. But he takes Chris Hemsworth's body and he's just like, "Oh, I should have worked out more, you know, I should have done this." He Feels he's like ah oh, yes this is the body I should have had oh this is this is what I should this have is what had. I'm owed you know yeah this is what I'm owed right that's yeah. very incel. Um- So, but like, and then eventually when he gets bested by the Ghostbusters, right? He's like, well, this body is making me stupider. So boom. And then he like, you know, gets out of it because he's just protecting himself, right? He's Mm -hmm. just like, oh, well, you only beat me because this guy's making me stupid. Yeah. Which is just, that's how toxic masculinity works because he doesn't feel empowered. He doesn't feel like the alpha. He doesn't feel like, you know, the only person that benefits from patriarchy is the person at the top. Yeah. And everybody else is just a victim. And I feel like so often we only get the picture or the portrait of the person at the top that's kind of defending their position that we're like, oh, yeah, that's a man. But this guy was obviously like he was just a victim of all of that.
0: Yeah. But that's why it takes some introspection, right? It takes some learning about yourself and how you process these things Mm -hmm. to be better about these things it's it's allowing yourself that space and again not everybody has that and i fully understand that and that's something to be talked about absolutely but i mean if we all try to be a little bit better we can be a little bit better i do want to say that moment was very confusing so this will be the transition to chris hemsworth his whole character um who i did like in this movie i thought he was very funny his character <laughs> um so rowan first inhabits melissa mccarthy right then he makes a comment after inhabiting Chris Hemsworth when they're walking in and he beats up those cops. In that moment, he's like, wow, muscles, I should have like worked out more he has super strength with Melissa McCarthy's body. So I don't know why the muscles thing was any any indication that whole story. I was just like, that comment doesn't really mean anything because Melissa McCarthy had the strength to hold two people just like off the ground and like flying and bouncing. And so it was like already hyper strength, right? It was super strength. And then Chris Hemsworth now has muscles. So it's like, well, this is why I'm strong. It's like, that no narratively that doesn't work i
1: didn't pick up on that that's (laughs) so smart that
0: does not track yeah (laughs) you can't you can't establish this rule in this sort of fantastic way and then break it like it just it seems like a it was a bad choice also
1: can we talk about what it means and how how it looks where like the only thing that could literally turn melissa mccarthy's character on her friends is a man getting inside of her head Oh, I love that. And how her friends love her and know her well enough to where they are literally going to help her get him out of there. That is female friendship.
0: That's cool. I actually really like that. I didn't even put that together, that he was literally inside her head.
1: Mm -hmm. That is the power of female friendship. That's sick. And... When you are able to be vulnerable with other people and people that you love and trust, they can see when like you're going through something or when you're acting and doing things for someone else, you know, yeah. or what somebody else is telling you to do. And they'll call you on that. And that's mm-hmm. like, that's so important. Just allowing yourself to be seen like that. Yeah. Because if she didn't have them around, she would be the person that was at the building instead of like Crimson Hemsworth.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's super true. That's cool. Fuck yeah. I like that a lot. I really like that. That's really cool. I do
1: too. Um, The other thing we need to talk about with toxic masculinity is in the last film, we had the EPA as like the big bad, right? Or like the systemic big bad. This time we had the mayor. And we had the mayor who was just like, well, thank you for doing this, but don't do this. Yeah. But... Thanks for doing it, but also no. And, like, literally telling the people of New York that these women are frauds, even though they saved the whole world. And No,
0: you all imagined it. It's not real.
1: Ugh, that's so fucked up. And so the scene where... Kristen Wig goes to find the mayor. A- After a couple of times of where they're like, "Oh, well, thanks for helping, but we're going to tell everybody you're frauds," yeah. right? So, he- she goes to the restaurant and the restaurant is all glass walls, <laughs> right? <laughs> Glass walls and she just runs up and she's trying to find her way in and she's, you know, well, she is out in the shit that's like about to hit the fan and she has her jumpsuit on. She's like frantic because she's just trying to save everybody. Right. And the glass wall between her and the one percent that are sitting in there in that room. Oh, yeah. All like super fancy having their dinner and just like, who's this woman? She needs to go away. And they're like, Oh my God. She can't even find the door. She's this poor person. Right. And they're like, talking down on her, right? After she's, like, clearly helped save the city from several bad things, and- right? And she goes in. She finally gets in. She's like, oh, my God. We have to – like, just being – like, people are going to die, you know? Mm-hmm. So she's saying, we need to evacuate. We need to do this. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't use the, the E word. <laughs> yeah. And then they, like, have her, like, taken and arrested. And, and Kristen Wiig, throughout this whole thing, is very reserved. Yeah. And so this whole scene, for her to go up and, like, literally, as they're pulling her, like, pull the table with her and things yeah. like that, just shows how desperate – She was in this moment and how the 1%, the governing bodies are like, not listening to science and what is happening. And they're just like, no, no, no. I'm going to have my dinner. This is not a thing.
0: Well, also the... How
1: timely is that (sighs) to what is happening now?
0: Well, because even the visual joke of like her being like, do you hear that? And there's like a rumbling and they're like, oh, actually, I do hear that kind of. And then it's just like a big ass trash can rolling by. And the fact that like her wait, no, look, here's my evidence is like literal trash was funny. Cause oh, then they're man. just like, oh, another association with like poor, the impoverished, the 1% versus the, you know, yeah. that was a good scene. And also comedically two very big moments. I want to point out, shout out Cecily strong. You're so fucking <laughs> funny. So I'm so impressed by literally everything you do. the the small little aside and I know you probably didn't write this maybe it was Avalid, I don't know but when she's like trying to go to each pillar at the mirror to like open it she's like oh no oh she thinks that's a door how sad she's a scientist right I was like that is so fucking just like the delivery and the cadence and like it was just fucking hilarious and then later she's like uh Christian wig to uh the mayor is just like don't be the mayor from jaws he's like <laughs> i'm not i'll never be the mayor from jaws <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> just these these little weird little asides that were i think just sprinkled throughout the whole movie
1: uh, so good so
0: good and like the hemsworth thing with the glasses i in theaters when this happened, it's the scene where they're interviewing him to work there and he's showing them all of his art. <laughs> oh, god.
1: Which was logo. <laughs> so
0: fucking funny. He's like, Yeah, like seven one one, like nine one one and they're like, Oh my god. <laughs> um No, but he's just like he has his glasses, he's being introduced, and in the middle of a conversation, he just reaches up through his glasses, like so there's no lenses and scratches his eye. And that kind of super subtle but overt slapstick style comedy, like the physicality of it. I remember being in theaters and I just laughed so loudly because <laughs> it's so fucking funny. And uh, they'd be like, wait, what's happening? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 I don't have lenses. They're like, why? He's like, well, they just kept getting dirty. So why would I have them? It's like, sick. This is dope. Like, I I like this so much. You know, uh, an
1: aquarium is just a submarine for fish. Oh, Yes. <laughs>
0: What a great joke!
1: <laughs> He's oh. just, he like, there were so many like this film had such smart comedy. Yeah, it, Fuck all of you that say that you can't make a comedy in this day and age because yeah. you know like oh people are too sensitive. This was the, fucking the, wonderful. The writing
0: was wonderful. The comedy was wonderful. The jokes were great. I think some of them got sh- overshadowed by the editing because of the beat like that. Just it felt yeah. a little off tonally, but the jokes themselves were fucking great. I don't know. I don't want to say it like at me if y'all feel otherwise. I don't think you can argue that the comedy in this was not there. I think you can argue that the setup for the comedy was lacking, but I think the comedy was there. The jokes were there, it was well written, and I think you're wrong if you think of it. <laughs> well,
1: everybody just had such great chemistry too. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. really like this is a this is a thing where like editing can really fuck things mm-hmm. up. You know, and I think that that's what this shows more than anything because this had everything that was good it had had great props, it had like great style, yeah. it had great writing, great actors, so much charisma on that screen, mm-hmm. you know, and such great themes, but just editing, man, it's editing not, not you've that, gotta watch the extended cut, yeah, I will there is one more thing that I want to talk about with chris Hemsworth mm-hmm. um and how. We were talking a little bit about privilege and patriarchy and things like that, and how Rowan was the person that was a victim of all this, because he was not conventionally attractive, he was, you know, like, a little bit smaller, and he was, you know, he wasn't very confident in himself and all of that. But Chris Hemsworth character, I loved him. Fucking loved him. And then sitting there and, like, looking through my notes and everything, I was like, holy shit, he is the embodiment of white privilege. Because, like, think about his introduction, right? He's goes in for this job that he's clearly unqualified for, that he's clearly bad at, and really actually not smart like he hears a loud sound and puts his fingers over his Which eyes was, you yeah, know like like that sort of thing like the 7, mm. the seven one one or ghostbusters with boobs right yeah. like it's
0: like i can make the boobs bigger is that the problem and they're like no 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 he's like oh okay
1: and like you know he refuses to answer the phone and like hangs up on people like, i didn't and like that conversation it yeah. throws the phone <laughs> into the fish tank like all these things right so that's our introduction to him right yeah. and he gets the job Even though he's unqualified and even though, whatever, because he's who he is, right? And then, later on, decides to, like, insert himself into the Ghostbusters narrative, right? Where he's like, all right, I'm a Ghostbuster now. And they're like, what? No, that's not how it works. He's like, no, no, no. And he, like literally just keeps pushing and pushing at the very until, end. Yeah. until he finally gets in there. He's like, Oh, well I have these things to give to you. Like, so he's buying his way into being a ghostbuster and yes, part of it is to appease him. So whatever. But like the whole time he's bad at his job. He's not good at what he's doing. And he just like gets what he wants. And case in point where at the very end when they're, you know, they were looking for people, right? He comes up and he's like, Oh, Hey, there you are. And he's like eating a sandwich. Right. And they're like, wait, wait, when did you have time to get a sandwich? He's like, oh, I looked for you in the sub shop. You weren't there. Got a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> like, they take the sandwich and throw it and then he's like, hey, can I get that? And if it was anybody else, right? They w- no. But he, they threw the sandwich back to him, right? And then he's like, hey, can I can I get that back or can I get a water? Can, can I get a muffin? Like, they're just like pushing that to show like, just because he's a good-looking white dude, he gets whatever he wants without having to work for it, without having to pay for it, and just by like standing there and acknowledging somebody's presence.
0: So he only got the sandwich in the theatrical release. There was fuck no, you, really? Yeah, there was. A, that was <laughs> the only moment he's just like, can I get that back? And they're like, yep. And then they.
1: So in yeah. the extended cut, he gets the sandwich back, and then he's like, oh, can I get a water? And they throw him a water, and he starts drinking that. Can I get a muffin? And then, the, and they're like, "Where the fuck is this coming yeah. from?" Because like, whatever he desires comes to him, him, and no whatever what. he can't get or whatever isn't allowed to him, he just pushes his way in and uses his influence until, okay, fine, whatever you can be, it. you can yeah. be a part of this.
0: Totally. And he justifies it at the end, even by saying he's like, "Oh, well, I'm the one who opened up that pit." And they're like, mm, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "Yeah, I just went over there and I pushed them the buttons like that, just like on the on the box." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "What box?" He's like, "You know, the the one over there." And you are like. You didn't do that. He's like, well, when I push it, something happened. So. Like, yeah, so
1: he's going to take credit for yeah, it. Yeah, so
0: he's taking credit for that and justifying why he should be a Ghostbuster, which is like cool.
1: Yeah, like, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, but he was a great character. I loved he him. Was. I loved him so, so, so much. Same. He and was... I, I also loved that he was a secretary because, like, break down those gender barriers. Oh, right? yeah. Because we still, for some reason, think that women can only be receptionists and. Got, like, customer service people. Yeah,
0: Like, that's what we in society only deem possible for women in the workforce.
1: Thanks. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry Uh, for my gender.
1: Man. So.
0: (laughs) You go, you go. Oh,
1: man. Okay. So, um, in conclusion, for the 1984 film, um, who is it for?
0: This movie... Was for fans of Saturday Night Live. That's who it was for.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I
0: mean, yeah. And not, that's not like a read. I just think, honestly, that's who it was for. Because of Bill Maury, because of Dan Aykroyd, because it had that whole crew. And it was also just for, like, geeky kids. I'm into that. Cool.
1: Yeah, I, I think that <laughs> it was for people that were fans of Saturday Night Live. Because it really, like, you know, so much of the film was ad lib too, and you could really tell. Yeah. They did a great job with it.
0: They did. Did you so, like it?
1: Yeah, I still I still really like it, even though it has all of these issues. It's one of my childhood favorites yeah. and it had its issues, but I still loved it.
0: Agreed. Yeah, I feel the same way. I still, I'll still watch the shit out of this. Same. I'm going to watch it many times. I still really <laughs> love the original Ghostbusters. I think it's great. Again, like you said, a little problematic at times with its themes and its treatment. I liked it, I loved it, and I got to have it. If this movie was a Cold Stone creamery restaurant, I would like it, love it, and got to have it.
1: Dang! Yeah, it was good. Um, I like, I like that. that movie. like that. Very good. Um, so what about the new one? Uh, was this new and interesting, or was it the same?
0: I think it was new and interesting. I think it had both of those elements to it. I think, especially in a world that had a lot of misogyny being pushed down on This new, like, it's sort of a new influx of SNL royalty, right? These heavy hitters, but they're just ladies instead of men. And I think they had a lot stacked against them. Mm -hmm. I think they brought a lot of interesting takes to the table. I also think they got a bad edit, but I think what they wrote was interesting and cool and new and fresh, and I liked it.
1: Same. I, again, I loved this so much. And that's the difference between the extended version and the theatrical version. But I think that this was great. And I'm actually really sad that, that we never got a second one because I loved it. Like, I think that just everybody had such great chemistry. I think it it just had a lot to say. And I was here for everything that it was saying.
0: Totally. I agree. Who was it for?
1: I think it was for... They really tried to make it for Ghostbusters fans. Yeah. Because they tried to do so much stuff. Like, there's the best of the person that passed away. There's, you know, like, all these little gems, these little nods throughout there. Like, you know, the pro-town packs in the original one were so heavy, and then Holtzman has a throwaway line about, oh, I made them lighter, right? Like, they, they really had so much love and care with the script and with what they were doing and like the shot of the firehouse and things like that. So it really was for Ghostbusters fans. Yeah. And also for women Ghostbusters fans too, which is really cool. But again, I think just the bad edit just really did uh, work against it.
0: Truly. I think... I'll say who it's for by saying who it wasn't for. This movie was not for straight white cis men. Yes. So this movie was for everybody who wasn't them. And I think that's why it got so much flack is because these angry cis white men are like you can't mess with something great blah 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 i'm mad at you cuz i <laughs> have i'm mad at my mom and you're like okay sure like calm down so this movie was not for them this movie was for anybody but them yeah yeah
1: great did we like it
0: yeah i did so <sighs> i liked it i think i will like it more watching the extended cut
1: I like it, love it, gotta have it.
0: Love it. I'm Boom. here for it. Please, please sun.
1: make a second one, man. I want. I just want to see more of them. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, thank
0: you, everybody, for listening. Uh, please write into Not Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or concerns. We're on Apple. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. Write we're a on review Instagram. We're on Instagram. We're
1: on yeah, please. Um, you know, if you are enjoying this, it really is great if you like our podcast to um, subscribe, um, to rate us and review us. That's how we gain visibility and how this sort of critical analysis can be made um, more visible to people that maybe don't know about this, mm-hmm. which is great.
0: Yeah. So if you have any bad jokes, any cool critiques, any interesting questions that we didn't answer, please leave them in the comments. Oh,
1: please, bad jokes. Bad I love jo- a good Yeah.
0: Poem. Rate us five stars because you love us and you want more of us.
1: Yeah, and um, <laughs> we'd like to say <laughs> uh, special thanks to David Tissero for being wonderful and providing much-needed tech support.
0: Special thanks to Danny Barkley for producing this wonderful podcast and spending so much time listening to our wonderful voices. We
1: love you. And also, thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jessica. This is delightful. This
0: is awesome. I love this. I love this so much. So, yeah. Please listen more later or other episodes. We got all kinds of them. And this is only episode three, but we got a bunch more coming. So,
1: lots. Okay, bye. Bye
0: bye.